All right. Uh, to let you know where we are going here over the uh, next couple months with uh, weekend messages anyways. We're going to do uh, two Sundays, the Sunday and next Sunday on the church and the messiness of church. And then we're going to be getting back into the book of Matthew because we need to finish that book up. And as we uh, head into Easter, we'll be looking at uh, the final sort of day of Jesus' life, his uh, rest and uh, crucifixion and uh, death and resurrection. But today we're going to talk about messy church. Uh, how do we navigate the messiness of church? And because uh, sometimes the church is messy. Sometimes it's disorderly and dirty and given to making a mess. And um, I mean, we just kind of know that. If, if you know anything about church history, if you're out there talking to uh, people about Jesus, you might hear someone say, well, how could you be a Christian knowing what the church has done, you know, in the Crusades and Inquisition? I mean, the church has done so much harm or so much evil. I mean, I could never be a Christian. How could you be a Christian? And, and, and it's true. There's a lot of mess within the history of Christianity. Uh, a lot of people have been hurt by the church, uh, been a part of a church, and maybe felt that they were judged or condemned, or, and they just, you know, they just want to leave. And, and church can be messy at times. And so we're going to talk about how do we, do we navigate that. And today we're going to look more at the big picture in terms of church as a whole and some of church history. And next week we're going to talk more about nitty-gritty in terms of just, you know, kind of more local site issues. And, you know, how do we, how do we navigate the messiness of church? Anyways, that's kind of, kind of the, the topic. Now, when Jesus started the church, uh, he uh, wanted the church to be the group of people, and the church just means a, a group of gathered people who love Jesus. He wanted the church to be the entity or group that people would look at and see, wow, that's so amazing, that group of people, God must be real. The church was to show others how good and amazing God is. I mean, a verse we use here often, because it's a verse we always need to be reminded of. John 13, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so one of the pr principles behind the church that Jesus started was that they should show us so shine of love that people look at our love and say, wow, I mean, God must be, must be real. Or what he said about our unity. Jesus in his prayer said, I'm not only praying on their behalf, but also on those who believe in me through their testimony. That's, that's the church today. That's us. That they will all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory you gave me uh, to me, I have given to them that they may, may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one. And again, he says, so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. And, and so love, and here Jesus says twice that our unity amongst Christians is to, to show the world that God sent his son, that God is real. The church is to shout and to be the testimony that God is who he is. And, and, and people were, were to look at the church and go, wow, God must be real. But sadly, 
in many ways, the church has become the very thing that keeps people away from God <laughs> a lot of times. It, it was meant to be the thing that would draw people to God, but in many times it keeps people away from God. And, and it's one of those things that, that a lot of people come up with. Like, how could you be a Christian when the church has done this? And I was a part of a church once, or I met a Christian, and they were, it's like doing the very opposite that Jesus wanted to. And this is why we are so big on our mission here of uh, loving Jesus and loving people and wanting to see lives transformed. And we got the pictures up there so we don't forget on the wall. Because this is the essence of what Jesus wants a church to be. That with all our might and strength, we're to be loving Jesus with everything we have. We are to be loving people. And we are to have a desire to see lives transformed for the kingdom and for the gospel and, and, and people moving into just a relationship with Jesus. That this is what it's about. But sadly, churches can get off track. And sometimes, I mean, we're not perfect here either. But there have been a lot, uh, uh, there's been a lot of harm done by the church. And sometimes church is messy. But it seemed, and this will be a little bit of a review of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that the church did pretty well at carrying out the mission of Jesus and looking like the church that Jesus wanted them to look like in the first three centuries of the church. Uh, uh, Tertullian, who lived in uh, the second century, said, look, they say, that's the outsiders, were saying to the church, look, they say, how they love one another, for they themselves hate one another, and how they are ready to die for each other, for they themselves are readier to kill each other. That there were people on the outside saying, wow, look at how those people love each other. And that's just what Jesus wanted people to say when they looked at the churches. Wow, look at their unity. Look at how they love one another. And we talked about this book uh, written by, he wasn't, he's not a Christian uh, when he wrote this book. He was a Rodney Stark, got his master's and his PhD from Berkeley, one of the most world-renowned sociologists. But he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And how Christianity from the time of Jesus, by the time the, the 300 A.D. hit, there were 6 million Christians. By the time 350 A.D. hit, there were 34 million Christians. It wasn't until 380 A.D. that uh, Christianity actually became the, the official religion of the Roman Empire. 313, Constantine did make it uh, illegal. But in this book, he talks about why in the world did Christianity grow from Jesus and his disciples to, to millions and millions of people. And this non-Christian guy said, one of the main reasons is, is because of the radical love of Christians. That they were loving Jesus and loving people and wanting to see lives transformed. In fact, uh, one of the emperors, Emperor Julian, who was against Christianity, he wanted to see uh, paganism restored in the Roman Empire, uh, said this about Christianity. And by the way, Christianity was called atheism back then because uh, Christianity stood for one God, where the, everybody stood for lots of gods, so atheism is talking about Christians. Atheism has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. Coming from a guy who wasn't a Christian and hated Christians, he's saying, look, they're, they're growing because they're loving each other. And we talked a couple weeks ago about what that looked like in terms of them loving the, the hungry and the sick and, and the dying when the plagues would come in and wipe out 30% of the population. That they would all flee. The Christians would stay and care for their own and for the pagans. And these people would come to know Jesus because of their love and their care for women and on and on. That it radically transformed the Roman Empire 
through the radical service of, of p- Christians just loving Jesus and loving people and wanting to see lives transformed. But all of this changed, and Rodney Stark talks about this in his book, when Christianity became sort of the official state religion of the empire in 380 AD. It was the, the downfall. It was, it was uh, 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 made worse when the Roman Empire began to collapse because the barbarians and the Goths and uh, other people were coming and, and, and raping their citizens and wiping out villages, and it was just this horrible, horrible, horrible time. And there began this feeling within the church because now the church had power, right? Because before, the church had to advance the gospel through, through suffering and, and serving and loving. Now they're like, well, maybe we can advance the gospel through power. And our empire is falling apart and these barbarians are attacking us. So maybe, you know, if they were just Christians, then this wouldn't be happening. So maybe we need to convert them and maybe we need to do it by force. You know, how power corrupts, this is what happened in the church. And even some of the people we look up to sometimes, like the famous theologian Augustine, or some people know him as Augustine, uh, Augustine began to fall in this trap of thinking that maybe if the church used violence, then we could solve all the issues of the empire collapsing and such. And so he would take things like Luke 14, which says, uh, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And and Jesus is just saying that that we should be urging people to come and know Jesus because it's important. But he thought that, well, maybe compel means maybe we could compel them with with fear and pain and violence because maybe that will cause them to come in. And Augustine, because he had so much authority over the church, began to set the church, along with others at this time, in a horrible situation direction in fact one of augustine's letters it says he says this there is unjust persecution which the wicked inflict on the church of christ and then he says this and the just persecution which the church of christ inflicts on the wicked and so we began to come to the idea that there's a just persecution that because we're being attacked that we can rightfully inflict violence and fear on on them and uh And he goes on in this letter. You can read this letter online. But he says this. It is indeed better, as no one would ever uh, could deny, that men should be led to worship God by teaching. That the best way to bring people to Jesus is to teach them, right? Obviously, that's the best way. But then he says this. um, It is indeed better that men should be led to worship uh, to God by teaching than that they should be driven to it by fear of punishment and pain. And then he says For many have found advantage, as we have proved and are daily proving by actual experiment in being first compelled by fear or pain so that they might afterwards be influenced by teaching. In other words, that we're actually seeing that if we inflict vengeance and fear and pain and violence and (coughs) we persecute these wicked people, that they will be more open to the teaching of God. And, And this began to bring the church down into a horrible period, into the dark ages, the Middle Ages, where you get some of these uh, popes and church figures saying things that are just completely evil and demonic, like this. Oddly enough, this guy was named Pope Innocent III. He says, anyone who attempts to construe a personal view of God which conflicts with church dogma must be burned without pity. This is like the, the head of the church and these people were, often, were kind of influenced a lot by Augustine and, and kind of where Augustine went totally wrong in his theology. 
but that, that, that maybe we just convert people by burning them and you know, maybe there'll be some hope after or we just, we're going to kill and torture and, and horrible, horrible things. And this is, of course, you, you know about the Crusades and the Inquisition where, uh, I mean, the, the, the church in, with the authority of the state, I mean, killed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, if you were thought to be a witch or a homosexual or a, you committed adultery or they just thought you were heretical in any way or maybe you were just off, they would take you in and begin to torture you until you would confess. And then if you confess, you were burned at the stake often. But if you didn't confess, they just continued to torture you until maybe you did confess. And I mean, people would confess because of the pain uh, just, to, just to get out of it. And then, I mean, the Crusades were... I mean, some of it was protecting from the Muslim advance, but a lot of it was the church going down and trying to take over the Holy Land. And there was death and destruction. And I don't know if you realize, but do you know that many of the most horrific devices of torture, many of them too horrible to even put up there, were used by the church? In these dungeons of torture for heretics and, and, and people who didn't agree with the church, I mean, you talk about evil, awful, disgusting, demonic things. That was done by the church throughout church history. It's interesting that this week uh, here, uh, Obama was speaking at the prayer breakfast. And, and he was talking about the evils of ISIS. And rightly so. I mean, what ISIS is doing is absolutely evil and horrible and, uh, and not good. But then he said this. He said, lest we get on our high horse and think this is unique to some other place, remember that during the Crusades and the Inquisition, people committed deeds in the name of Christ. And, and it's true that, I mean, the things that the church did in the Inquisition and Crusades in the name of Christ really would make ISIS look like newbies. Like, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, the church really knew what they were doing. And what I found interesting is that there are a whole bunch of Christians that got upset with Obama for saying this. When I'm like, thank you for saying this, it's right on, because what the Christians did was not at all like what Jesus wanted the church to be doing. I mean, going around killing people and murdering people and torturing people is like, okay, thank you, Obama. I'm not some political person here, but I mean, what he said was right on. I mean, what the church has done in history is completely messy. Uh, and not only killing people, but you think, look at things like St. Peter's Basilica, which is one of the most amazing buildings in the world. Many people say it was built on uh, the corrupt practice uh, of selling indulgences. And so people go around and say, you know, your loved ones are suffering in purgatory. And uh, they're going through so much pain. But if you would like them to suffer less, give the church money. Or y when you die, you're going to suffer in pur purgatory, and if, if, if you don't want to suffer as much, give the church money. Or you sinned, it's not just enough to um, confess your sins to Jesus, and through a priest, you have to give money too, and then you're really going to be forgiven. And, and this whole uh, St. Peter's B Basilica was built mostly on the sale of indulgences. Uh, I mean, essentially ripping off the poor and, and the, the needy, and I mean, it, this is one of the reasons why the Reformation happened. I mean, pre-reformers like Wycliffe and Huss and then reformers like Luther, because of the sale of indulgences and, and the corruptness uh, of the Roman Catholic Church at that time, they began to say, hey, this shouldn't be so. We need to change this. And he nails his thesis on the Wittenberg door, of course, and, and the Reformation happens. 
And because the reformers are considered heretics, again, the bloodshed continues. But, I mean, the, the Protestants aren't uh, free in this. I mean, because as soon as the Protestants got power, and again, now we got power, now we can do something. And, and so, and, and Catholics started killing Christians, and Christians started killing Catholics. And then there were like groups in the middle, like the Anabaptists, who the Catholics and Protestants like, wiped out because, I mean, the Anabaptists didn't believe in violence, and they didn't believe that babies should be baptized. And so they got killed by other Christians. And I mean, you have the 80s year war and the third year, I mean, like mil literally millions of Christians killed each other. I mean, even some of the people we look up to, like uh, like John Calvin, maybe, you know, these famous theologians. I mean, John Calvin had Michael Severitas burned at the stake because he didn't agree with infant baptism and was heretical with the Trinity. I mean, I mean, just horrible things going on throughout uh, church history. And, and, and it wasn't until the Peace of Westphalia came in, 130 years after the Re Reformation, where finally people said, we got to stop killing each other. This is ridiculous. And so there was peace, somewhat, for a little while. But still today, we run into the messiness of church. I mean, you may have heard of the Westboro Baptist Church, who uh, go around and, and have signs of hatred and, and say, you know, God is happy with these soldiers dying and happy with the shuttle blowing up and any disaster. Say, God is happy with that. And, and, and they're holding up hinds, signs of hate, not signs of loving people. And... Uh, I mean, maybe you remember this guy even, uh, Pastor uh, Terry Jones, who did the, the Burn the National Koran Day, where he wanted to see 200 Korans burnt. And, of course, there's all these protests, and all these people died. And so he said, well, okay, I won't do that. And then he eventually ended up burning a Koran, and all these other people died in these protests over it. And I don't know which is more dumb, burning a Koran, or killing people over burning a Koran, but it's just dumb either way. But, I mean, people see this on the news, and they go... Why would you ever want to be a Christian? I mean, I've read my church or my history and in college. Why would I ever want to be a Christian? Why would you guys be a part of a movement where, you know, people were torturing each other, where people were, you know, holding signs of hatred or all this, this, this mess, <laughs> just messy. And not that I agree with, uh, I mean, I don't know if we've got another slide here. I mean, we see more stuff, scandals and megachurches, uh, I mean, look at the, the abuse uh, of kids within the church, especially the Roman Catholic Church, and hiding the abusers and moving them around. I mean, horrible, evil, demonic stuff just, just going on, and it's messy. Uh, it was Gandhi, and I actually agree with him in this statement. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And that's true sometimes. I mean, I mean Jesus is amazing, but... The, the church Jesus wanted to start was to be a church that, that shined of his glory. And people would look at the church and go, wow, God is real. But now the church has become the very thing that often hinders people from coming to Jesus. And that's a mess we need to navigate. And so kind of we'll talk about this over the next couple of weeks. But, but it is messy. I mean, why are we Christians when our history is like this? I mean, this is, this is kind of weird. Well, we're going to look at a couple things today and continue it into next week first of all not every church is a church and not every christian is a christian and not every christian or church acts like a church or acts like a christian i mean you go right back to the pharisees in jesus day in jesus day the religious leaders 
uh, were the Pharisees. They were kind of the church, the church leaders of the day. If you ask the Pharisees who's closest to God, they would say we were. If you ask the people who's closest to God, they would say they were. They were the head honchos of, of the day in terms of supposedly loving God. But did they really love God? Uh, were they close to God? Were they carrying out God's will? I mean, we a while back looked at Matthew chapter 23, and, and Jesus says no. I mean, Jesus says of these guys, they're hypocrites, they're blind guys, they're blind fools, they're blind men, they're blind Pharisees, they're whitewashed tombs, snakes, brood of vipers, and children of hell. No, they're not doing God's will. Uh, they're not carrying out the desire of Jesus. They're doing the exact opposite. And it's funny that sometimes people call these same things uh, of Christians today, you hypocrites, and you guys are blind or whatever it might be. But uh, they weren't standing for God. In fact, very clearly, uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so these people who really were supposed to be the religious leaders, Jesus says, they actually have no relation to God. They have no relation. They're, they're children of the devil. And I submit to you that many periods throughout church history, there were many church leaders, many churches that, had, I mean, just because they have the, the name church or the name pastor or the name leader doesn't make them one. Any more than I say, hey, I'm a banana. Did you know that? Totally a banana. And then, then I do something, you say, well, I'm going to do something in the name of bananas. And they're like, well, how dare you do that in the name of banana? You're just wrecking all the bananas out there. I can never eat a banana again because look at that banana. I'm not a banana, right? And you can go around and say, I'm doing something in the name of Jesus. Doesn't mean it is in the name of Jesus. Doesn't mean Jesus agrees with it. Or you can call yourself a pastor or a church. It doesn't, doesn't make you one any more than the Pharisees were close with God. Uh, Jesus very clearly in Matthew 7 said, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so there'll be many people who say, Lord, I, I'm one of your children. I know you. I had a church. I, had a, I was a church leader. I was a pope or, you know, I was, you know, whatever. And, and, and I did all these things for you, tortured people and killed people and, you know, murdered people and put someone on the rack and stretched them to pieces in your name. I, I never knew you. What are you talking about? He actually calls these people evildoers. And these aren't even people who are putting people on the rack. They're people who are prophesying and, and, and casting out demons and doing stuff that seems a lot more Christian than torturing people and killing people and murdering people. There's, there's probably going to be many that, that yeah, I never knew you. I mean, just because someone has the label church over top or, you know, it's in church history doesn't mean they stand for Jesus, doesn't mean they are a church, doesn't mean they were Christians uh, even. Uh, true Christians follow the, uh, Jesus and desire to follow his example and teaching. That's what Jesus said. Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father. I mean, the true evidence of someone who is following Jesus is, uh, is a love for Jesus. And if you love Jesus, th then you want to obey Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. Now, we don't do that perfectly. 
God will do it perfectly, and sometimes I make this church messy, and sometimes you make this church messy, and that's a topic for next week. But, but I mean, these, these crazy things that went on, I mean, just don't look anything like Jesus. Uh, for instance, 1 John 4, 8. Uh, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Or 1 John 3, 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. If anyone does not do what is right, uh, is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Or 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. doesn't mean we do that perfectly, but it means that, that, that if you're a child of God, your, your deepest desire is, I want to live as Jesus did. I want to I follow Jesus. I want his life to be in me. I, I want to love like Jesus did. I want to serve like Jesus did. I want to be humble like Jesus did. Not... You know, I want to kill as many people as possible, and if someone disagrees with me, I'm going to torture them or kill them or, you know, do all this, this violence. It doesn't look like Jesus. That to, to follow Jesus. Now, I should say that, that all throughout church history, there are always groups of Christians who just love Jesus, were loving people, and, and seeing lives transformed. I mean, not everybody was corrupt. And a lot of times, uh, people who look at Christianity who have negative views at their views are construed by the media. I mean, because what gets on the news? It's Westboro Baptist Church. It's, it's uh, you know, the guy who's burning the Koran. It's, you know, some church, big megachurch scandal. They don't put on the news like the Christian who's just loving the poor. They don't put on the news churches that are just kind of loving each other because that doesn't sell. I mean, and, and so part of this is, is tainted by media. Um, but, but a true Christian wants to follow the example of Jesus. Or Luke 6. Uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I mean, I mean, you picture like you know someone like you know putting someone on the Iron Maiden with spikes and you know killing someone in this torture device. I mean, it's like, is that what Jesus would want? That looked like loving your enemies and doing good to them, a as Jesus said. I mean, here's the point: you can look at church history, you can look at the messiness of church. All of that needs to be filtered through the teachings of Jesus. You don't judge Jesus based on what his, some of his followers do. You judge Jesus based on what he taught and what he wanted his followers to do. And, I mean, just think about some of the things we thought about through church history. The messiness of it all, you know, torturers and Christians killing Christians. And then just, just sit back and look at what Jesus taught here. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if someone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. To do, uh, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. 
And you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He is kind to them. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. And as you begin to filter that through church history, and all of a sudden you begin to, to see, okay, I can separate the wheat from the chaff. I understand that there, there's always a thread of this moving through, and this is always what Jesus wants to see from his church. But just because there's some crazy people over here doesn't mean that, that all Christians are like this or should be like this. Or what Paul taught, uh, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and a lot of this is just, just forgotten. I mean, the church... Instead of helping those who are hungry and helping the poor, we're, we're starving out villages and, and, and making it to be worse. The, 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 the church sometimes we're supposed to be loving people, we're, we're killing people and, and torturing people. And, and our goal is just to follow Jesus and to follow his teaching and example. And, and Jesus lived the, the kind of life that we're to follow. And you just look at his example and you see. Uh, and again, you can kind of filter out some of these things from church history. For instance, Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a village, a Samaritan village, to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to uh, call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Should we torture them? Should we kill them all because they don't want you there and they don't like your teaching? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And I tell you, Jesus would have a lot of rebuking to do in church history, and a lot of rebuking to do in churches around this world, and probably a lot of rebuking to do in our own hearts, and in, in our own church in, in various ways. I mean, don't, should we call fire and burn them and destroy them because they're heretics? No, don't do that, Jesus said. And he rebukes the disciples. Or uh, Matthew 26, then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Without one of the Jesus' companions reached for his sword, that was Peter, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. There we go, let's get them, because they're going to attack you, Jesus. They're going to arrest you, and that's not godly or whatever. Let's, let's get them, let's kill them, let's chop them up, you know. What did Jesus do? Yeah, you get them, Peter, let's kill them all. He says, no, Peter, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Or we see Jesus on the cross. There they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, uh, the other on his left, something Jesus 
I mean, did not deserve, I mean, uh, not at all. He was in a place uh, that was for the lowest of criminal criminals. Uh, they had beat him. They're going to kill him. And Jesus says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And the Bible says we're to walk in the example of Christ. That we're to walk in the example of, of advancing the kingdom, not through violence, fear, and punishment, through, but through humble service and, and radical love and being willing to f- forgive those who hurt us. And, and sometimes we do get mad, and you know the reason for getting mad is so we can get over us and grow and, and forgive the person and, and, and love them and to bless our enemies. And, and if we ever get persecuted here, we don't pick up swords and start killing them. We're like, we pray for them and we bless them and do what we can. We just, we just want to live for the kingdom. We want to be one of those churches that is not a hindrance to the kingdom. People walk in here and say, wow, this place, yeah, it's really clean. We really love each other. And they're, they're, there's something different about them. And, and you look different in the world because we're loving each other. Even though we're, we're completely different people. I mean, we have different quirks and maybe a little different ideas of different theologies. But, but we're one and, and we're unified and we're loving Jesus and, and loving people and transforming lives. And that's what the church should be. That's what Jesus wanted from his church. And next week, we're going to move on more to just... The messiness. I mean, maybe you've been hurt by church. Uh, maybe you just haven't felt cared for or loved, or maybe you've had conflict with people, or maybe you've been judged, or maybe you kind of think all Christians are hypocrites. I mean, how do we navigate kind of real life today in the messiness of church? And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But let's, uh, let's stand together as we close. If uh, any of you need prayer for uh, any reason, uh, prayer is powerful. Prayer uh, does uh, mighty and great things. We'll have uh, uh, Marie and Crystal up here, and Deanna will be up here as well, maybe Curtis and Terry. And you guys come forward, and um, they'd be more than happy to pray for your needs or whatever might be uh, going on or whatever you want to celebrate with God in prayer. Let's close. Father, we just uh, ask for forgiveness for the mistakes of uh, our ancestors, uh, people who have done things so horrible and demonic and terrible in the name of Jesus. God, as Daniel, in in the book of Daniel, repented for his people, we, God, we repent on behalf of mistakes. God, would you help your church to look more like you? God, would you help your church to be not a barrier to people coming to know God, but a a highway that, that, that is inviting God, I pray we will be known as Jesus wants us to be known for our love for each other and our unity. God, I pray we will be known for our love for you and, uh, and just a desire to, 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 to help and see people's lives transformed by, in the name of Jesus. And so God, we pray for a blessing over uh, just all of us here. God, as we go from this place, you would help us to, to love you with our whole heart, soul, and strength. God, you would help us to honor you, to, to live, God, as, I mean, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I do, I say, God, that we would be people who, who do what you say and have a, just a great time doing it. I pray, God, help us to love each other, love this community, love those around us, to be people who don't take revenge, to, to uh, return evil, and we return it with good and blessing. We feed the hungry and the poor. And so we thank you, God, that you love us. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for grace. We thank you for all that we receive in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.